Welcome to In Focus, a discussion of current issues affecting our economy, featuring a review of the latest research and analysis from the Washington Research Council. This is Emily Makings with the Washington Research Council. I'm here with Chris Schoblum, our research director and senior economist, and Mary Strau, our communications director and research analyst. This is the In Focus podcast episode for October 20th. And um, Mary, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, Well, as we are continuing to look at charter schools and their place in the public school system here in Washington, um, uh, I I happened upon um, uh, some news from Los Angeles uh, that I thought would perhaps shed some light um, on what's going on here. Um, first of all, just to recap, of course, the state Supreme Court has ruled very controversially um, that charter schools are unconstitutional. Um, and I say controversially because there's been um, bipartisan criticism of the ruling from both Democrats and Republicans, from elected officials and lawyers, kind of across the board. Um, so there's that. Um, but what I, I saw on Twitter a few weeks ago, um, someone had linked an article about test scores in Los Angeles and uh, uh, claiming it was a, someone who was opposed to charter schools and claiming that the results allegedly prove that uh, charter schools don't live up to the hype that public schools perform uh, better than charter schools down in L.A. So um, I did a little digging, and what I found was that the, um, the Los Angeles uh, School District recently released test scores comparing the results of magnet schools, charter schools, and traditional public schools. Um, So magnet schools are run by the school district, um, but as opposed to traditional public schools, they specialize usually in one particular subject area. So you have uh, STEM schools, science, technology, engineering, and math. You have um, liberal arts schools, communication schools, business schools, as well as um, gifted schools for the gifted that do require students have um, a certain grade level in order to to enter. The other magnet schools um, are open to anyone on sort of a complicated point system. Um, charter schools are still part of the public school system, but are independently operated. And then, of course, you have the the traditional public schools. So um, these test scores in LA showed that um, of the students who took the test the magnet schools came out on top by a fairly significant margin, um, followed by charter schools, followed by traditional public schools. Um, So what some of the charter school opponents were trying to say as a result of this is that, see, we don't need charter schools. Um, The public schools are doing the job. The flaw in that argument um, is that... Magnet schools don't represent all public schools. They're only, um, at least in L.A., they're only uh, a part of the public school system. In fact, they serve fewer students than charter schools do. Um, and I'm sure you can make probably make that argument um, in any school district in the country. Certainly in Seattle, um, the majority of the schools are just traditional public schools, when, where they do, but they do have a, uh, a percentage of I don't know if they call them magnet schools, but they're these specialty schools. Um, so, and certainly, you know, it's great news that these these magnet schools are serving their students so well, but um, it really doesn't seem 
to prove any point that, that charter schools are unnecessary. I think, you know, uh, obviously the parents of the approximately 100,000 students in the Los Angeles school district who are being served by charter schools and who choose to send their kids to charter schools would probably um, argue with that as well. Another point um, that was brought up that was reported by the Los Angeles Times was that um, charter schools, um, as a percentage of their students, this is a percentage of these students who took the test, had the highest percentage of kids coming from low-income families. Um, the traditional public schools had the next largest, and the lowest percentage of low-income families um, were the kids who took the test in the magnet schools. And, of course, sadly, as we know from much research and reporting, um, low-income kids tend to not do as well academically as their middle-income and higher-income counterparts. So um, those, that's, that's just to give a bigger picture to the story. And, you know, as we continue here in Washington, it sounds like there will be some bipartisan legislation um, to try to fix this, um, respond to this ruling uh, of the Supreme Court and make it so that charter schools can continue. Um, I just thought it would be helpful to shed some light on some of these other arguments that are happening elsewhere in the country um, as we no doubt prepare for for this contentious issue um, in the upcoming legislative session. Right. Yeah, Mary, you know, it, it occurs to me that the, you know, the arguments uh, in favor of charter schools revolve around choice, uh, parental choice, and parental choice being a discipline on the schools. You know, having to compete for students um, brings schools to the top of their games. And, and, the char and the magnet schools are out there competing for schools. They're being disciplined by the market in the same way um, charter schools would be disciplined. And I would think that this almost study could, kind of turns around and says it, it actually demonstrates the value of parental choice in, in, in driving good performance among students. So it, it works um, uh, in favor of the advocates of charter schools rather than against them. Yep. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think it's great news that the magnet schools are doing so well, but of course then it raises the question, well, why aren't you doing that well in all your other schools? Um, <clears throat> and your point is, uh, I think, is very good that it, you know, you might not see these magnet schools if there weren't the, the charter schools there to compete with them. All right. Uh, anything else, Mary? No, nope, that's it. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Chris? Chris, what do you have? So I have a couple of, uh, of reports, uh, data that came out uh, from the state uh, last week. Uh, the first one was the uh, monthly collections report, um, covering uh, collections essentially in the month of September. These are tax revenues that have come in. Um, and, and important to note that the, the tax collections that came in in September generally reflected economic activity in October, uh, excuse me, in August. Um, so, uh, in this uh, uh, September 11th, October 10th collection period, um, collect revenues to the state were 27.9 million, almost 28 million, above what had been forecasted, which is basically good good news. Um, of this, um, about 
oh, just over six million was due to an audit payment, which are the sorts of things that aren't being uh, forecast. But but the the actual forecast itself was about 22 million above, uh, which is is good news. Um, interestingly, uh, just um, a few weeks earlier, uh, we'd had a new revenue forecast uh, prepared. So. Uh, this is a uh, which in which they'd actually which, which actually had reduced um, um, a bit the amount of revenue that was expected to come in. Uh, so this was actually kind of uh, much better than uh, than the uh, than the new forecast. Uh, um, the uh, uh, and and, I, and uh, the other other thing we could note about this is that uh, that about half of the positive variance is there. Budget speaks budget revenue errors, uh, like to term it, uh, was due to the real estate excise tax, um, and and most of that was due to uh, residential sales rather than commercial sales, so it's, and that's a good sign. And now the second report um, later in the week uh, was the monthly employment report. Um, this one was a bit, uh, bit less positive. Uh, employment. Um, um, for the uh, month of September uh, was down uh, 2,200 uh, from the amount uh, in August. Um, I always caution that the, the um, monthly re employment reports uh, tend to be volatile and that um, the initial numbers we see are subject to uh, revision, sometimes substantial, when uh, um, uh, more complete surveys and then finally a, a, a full count of jobs comes in. Um, uh, the um, uh, the employment number for the previous month, uh, for August, uh, was actually revised to a gain of uh, 5,200 jobs uh, from the from a gain of 1,600 initially. So that is a substantial. So that is substantial. Change. So you can see that. Um, in fact, if you the total good news for the revision and plus is still would be a positive right addition. Uh, but but look, getting underneath those kind of those headline numbers, I saw something very interesting, and that has to do with construction employment. Uh, since the beginning of the year, construction employment has been essentially flat. Mm -hmm. um, and at this point in recovery, you'd expect a uh, rising construction, and that would be a driver. Um, so that's worth watching uh, going forward. Um, now the, uh, the level of construction employment right now is below what's, what's contained in the, in the economic forecast, and if it continues flat, uh, we will see uh, economic forecast, I believe, reduced down in the future, and with that, probably the revenue forecast being uh, reduced uh, also. Because we have a sales tax, right? Yes, on because, because, because we sales because um, we get an inordinate amount of money on sales tax from construction, uh, because we tax not just the the physical goods that go into the construction project, lumber, steel, nails, uh, but we also apply the sales tax to construction labor. Uh, we're um, fairly, uh, it's that, and that's fairly unusual in this state, yeah, it, uh, compared to the other states in the nation. Um, the, interestingly, the, the, the real downturn appears, uh, appears in the Seattle metro area, uh, where we're sitting right now, um, and wonder whether that's a sign that, the, uh, that there won't be, we won't be seeing as few cranes in the future as we're seeing presently. Hmm. Uh, so construction employment is flat for the state, yes. but it's been declining in, in Seattle. Seattle, that's right, uh, since April. Since, since April. Um, and yeah, quite 
Yeah, it's down. Uh, let's see if I have the number there. I do have the number here. Uh, since April's down by over 3,000 jobs. In, in mm -hmm. Seattle, while it was up, um, 1,800 jobs outside of Seattle. Wow. And by Seattle, I mean the, the full metro area, okay. not just um, the city itself. Yeah. Well, certainly something to keep an eye on. Yes, but given this, the, that a lot of the activity is dominated by big projects here in Seattle, it could be just the kind of the, the ebbs and flows. Some projects are winding down, others are mm -hmm. in the pipeline and will be coming back. Uh, but it bears watching. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I thought that I would just mention briefly the um, go switch from construction to agriculture. Uh, recently, the USDA... Um, released figures for wash the value of agricultural production in Washington for 2014. Um, it was ag, ag was valued at 10.119 billion, basically just slightly up from last year, which was 10.061 billion. Um, apples continue to be the highest valued commodity in the state, followed by milk, cattle, potatoes, and wheat. Um, but apples, the value of apples uh, declined by 11.2 percent over 2013. And by 23.6% over 2012. Um, so they've been on a down, downward um, angle there. But they're, they're still far and away the highest um, valued crop in, in Washington. Additionally, um, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Free Trade Agreement was negotiated finally this month. And as part of that tariffs on many agricultural products will be reduced, including these products I just mentioned, apples, uh, beef, potatoes, wheat. Um, so this would be a good thing for Washington growers should U.S. Congress agree to, to the agreement, which may, may not happen. You never know. So I think that's it for us. Right, Chris? Very good, yes. Um, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mary. Uh, we'll talk to you all later. In Focus is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. Your tax-deductible investment allows our work to continue. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.